Welcome to In the Trenches, the podcast of the Michigan Freedom Fund. Here's your host, Tony Daunt. Greetings, everybody. This is Tony Daunt, Executive Director of the Michigan Freedom Fund and the host of uh, our podcast here, In the Trenches. And I have a couple of very special guests with us this month. Uh, Makes perfect sense in light of the fact that we're doing this here during Sunshine Week. We have uh, Senator Ed McBroom, uh, state senator from uh, from up in the UP. And uh, he is the chair of the Senate Oversight Committee. And we have uh, State Representative Steve Johnson. He's a state rep from over on the west side of the state. Um, and uh, he is the chair of the, uh, of the House Oversight Committee. And so we're very pleased to have them. Uh, I guess we'll just kind of before we launch into some questions, give each of you a, a minute or two to, um, you know, speak about your what you view your role as chair of oversight committee to be, and uh, how your work has been going here uh, over the first couple of months of 2021. So, Senator McRoom, why don't you kick it off for us? Well, thanks, Tony. Um, yeah, when I first got into office back in 2011. I really had a direction in my mind that I wanted to really dig into what different departments did, what the bureaucracy did to people, how their policies and determinations impacted people. And I I right away wanted to especially work on issues involving agriculture, natural resources, transportation. And so I got, I worked on getting on those committees, but quickly found out that most of my other colleagues on those committees, while they might also feel strongly about those issues, also had sought to be on those committees to expedite certain policy objectives. And in order to get those passed, they needed to keep, they needed eventually the department to support their legislation and go to the governor and tell the governor, yes, please sign these bills. And I I found that I could not do significant work that I wanted to do in pressuring bureaucrats for better policy, fighting against bureaucratic decisions on those policy committees. And so I was friends with uh, Tom McMillan, who was chairing the Michigan House's Oversight Committee at the time, talked with him a little bit and felt like I could really expand on what he was doing there. Um, And really also went and interviewed some previous chairs of the committee back from before term limits and found that they um, used to do a lot more before term limits. There was a lot more power invested in the oversight work. And so I've worked really hard to bring that back. I chaired the House Oversight Committee for a term and now uh, in my third year here in the Senate doing this. And, and that's still my goal on oversight committees, holding government accountable. It's bringing in the people in the government to make sure that they are executing the laws faithfully, that they're not going outside the bounds of what the law tried to do, and that they're remembering that the laws are supposed to work for the people and not for the departments. And so we take up the audits from the Auditor General's office and work on many special projects that come up. COVID here being the prime example of that now has taken up an enormous amount of my committee's time. And then uh, this past fall, the election, the events that surround the election have dominated my committee's agenda for the last three or four months now. Right. Well, and you, you hit on a couple of key topics that we've been dealing with, and and I know you've you've um, you know by virtue of being a state senator, you have held this chairmanship for a couple of years now. Um, Representative Johnson 
um, if if my memory serves me correctly, this is this is your first go with uh, with chairing oversight, and um, you know you are have always been a, an advocate for transparency in our conversations. And um, you know how would you add to or maybe supplement kind of what what Senator McRoom said about your role and, and how you view the work you're doing on the House side. Yeah, so this is my first term as chair of oversight. So what we're in a month three right now. Uh, you know, fortunately for myself, I served on the committee my first two terms, so I have a little bit of a background. Uh, but you know, I think when everything we see right now, from the shutdown orders to the nursing home issue, to the unemployment issue, and and now you see these severances that are out there, there's a lot of people in the general public that are saying, "What is our government up to?" And it doesn't seem like the government is working for them. It seems like there's a different set of rules for the government than there is for the people. And you know, I believe it's our role in the oversight committee is to provide kind of that check, right? There's checks and balances between the three branches. One of the checks is the work we do in the oversight committee, trying to hold the executive branch in line, making sure that they are actually performing their job correctly and they're not going beyond the scope of their uh, the scope of their authority. That's one of the big problems we see is government going beyond that scope. And that's where we can kind of step in to try to highlight some of those issues and try to hopefully cause change within the department. You don't always need to pass legislation or a new bill to fix something. Sometimes you just need to highlight an issue in order to get the department to back off on what they're doing. And so that's what we've been kind of focused on is just trying to highlight a number of issues. Well, and I, I think both of you have done great work in the, the first couple months here. And, and Representative Johnson, you you mentioned something that I wanted to ask about um, related to these these severance deals that uh, have been so prevalent in the media over the last couple of weeks related to Robert Gordon, the former director of uh, DHHS, Stephen Gray, former director of the UIA or Unemployment Insurance Agency, um, and others in, in the governor's administration. Um, you know, the governor just recently, I think is uh, just a few days ago, um, basically said they codified that practice um, within her administration. What does that say to you um, about her commitment or lack thereof to transparency? It seems pretty, in my mind, pretty brazen in saying, yeah, you guys may not like this, but we're going to do it anyway. You know, when Governor Whitmer came into office, she was talking a good game about transparency. I mean, I think you give her rhetoric an A+, plus, but what we've actually seen in her actions has been anything but. Uh, complete failure of transparency from, from day one in my mind. And so what we're seeing with these agreements, and I wanna make sure we're, we're clear here. We're not talking about you know, low-level bureaucrats here. We get that there's different HR policies and severance agreements in the private sector. Um, we understand stuff like that's different, but you're talking about the head of a department the department director, and especially two people that are, you know, in issues in areas that were very troubled the last year. First being DHHS with Director Gordon, who left under strange circumstances. No one really knows why. There is clearly a dispute between the two. Um, and then Director Steve Gray of the Unemployment Agency, which was a complete fiasco. And both of them get these large payouts. And in return, they can't talk about what happened and what led to that termination. Um, now, if you're talking about some low-level bureaucrat, that, that's one thing, but you're talking about the department director. In a public health pandemic, the health director can't talk about why he was fired or chose to resign. That doesn't add up to most people I talk to. 
and that's in Senator McBrew, maybe you can, in having been, um, having been around a little longer than, than Representative Johnson, um, you know, in, in starting back when, when Governor Snyder was in office, um, you know, obviously these severance, these payments, the large numbers, 155,000, 85,000 um, to the average taxpayer, that's a significant chunk of money. For me personally, and for the Freedom Fund and others, I think it's not just the it's not just the severance, it's the silence that that severance is purchasing. Do you recall anything of a similar nature taking place um, in the Snyder administration, or or even further back in, in previous administrations? I certainly don't, but uh, maybe you can speak to that. I've heard that there's been some NDAs in the past. Uh, I I think that these are probably the larger dollar amounts. And there's certainly been some agreements as far as how someone transitions out. Um, one that's been brought up frequently has to do with uh, former treasurer, Andy Dillon, who continued to receive some pay, but was helping his successor train in. Um, for me, you know, I, I certainly understand, you know, these are taxpayer dollars and such large amounts of payments coupled with an agreement to be silent is very troubling. I'll tell you, you know, to me, the the payment in and of itself is not probably the most troubling part because uh, I think severances have, at times, a justifiable purpose, um, especially if you are, you know, are we going to have an ugly firing here and then impede this person from getting another job? I, I think that that's debatable. The part to me that's really egregious in all of this is the agreements mandate that no other state employees will answer anything except for the party line as to why this happened. And that's potentially requiring state employees who never signed this agreement themselves to lie. And, and I think that's really incredibly troubling. Very, uh, I'm not even sure the policy could be upheld legally that you could mandate someone tell a lie um, because somebody else signed an agreement that says they have to. And so, you know, coupling, you know, Steve's concerns, uh, uh, Rep. Johnson's concerns and mine here, all of these things are really ripe for uh, a serious dive in the oversight uh, world to make sure why this is happening and, and consideration of what should be done to make sure agreements like this in the future, should they occur, are opened up to a lot more transparency uh, and, and scrutiny as to how, why, how, and when they should happen. In, in, in thinking through these, these items, um, you know, we've seen um, this, this, the severance um, issues and, and the silence related to them aren't, aren't even the only thing going on with, with this administration and state government. Um, even in recent weeks, you know, it, it seems like it's old news, but no more than a month ago, there was that huge scandal with the Michigan State Police. And usage of uh, an app, I think called Signal, that was meant to essentially destroy text messages before they were ever able to be recovered for FOIA and for transparency. Um, you had, um, uh, you know, the issue last year in the budget process where the governor uh, vetoed language related to whistleblower protections. Is, is this kind of a pattern? Is, does this, you know, how does this impact your relationship and ability to work with this governor or her administration on not just transparency policies, but just everything in general. Um, 
you know, it, does it does it impact? Is there a level of trust that's missing because of this? Yeah, I think there is a level of trust that's missing because of this. You know, obviously, when you look at the fact that the state police are using an app that automatically deletes messages, well, now you can't FOIA that, and they say, well, trust us. You know, there we didn't delete anything. Well, there's no way to prove that. Um, and then you add on to that just a number of other issues out there. And, you know, for myself and our committee here, we've invited uh, DHHS to come testify regarding nursing homes, and they've refused to testify before our committee. Um, and then you see these severance agreements with non-disclosure agreements in there. After a while, you start to see a pattern. Um, and that's, I think, it's the troubling part. It, if there's just a couple, you know, thing here or there, that's one thing, and that needs to be addressed and needs to be fixed. But when you see a pattern of behavior where they're trying to hide stuff and they're trying to um, ensure that whistleblowers aren't protected, then you start to wonder, is there something going on there? And if there isn't, then you should be more than fine to just go ahead and say, look, let's be open. Let's be transparent. Let's make sure you can see what's going on here. Uh, I don't know if they're trying to hide something. I don't know what it would be that they're trying to hide. But the fact that they're not being forthcoming and they're not being transparent leads myself and a lot of other people to start to ask those questions. And that's when your trust in government starts to erode. And so I think that the administration would do themselves a large favor to just say, hey, we're going to go ahead and we're going to be more open. We're going to try to share this stuff with you. And we haven't seen that yet. I think that's the fundamental issue here when it comes to transparency and, and why it's been so important to myself and, and Rep. Johnson and many others is that the we aren't suggesting that everything that's hidden is somehow some big scandal. I, I don't think that's necessarily reasonable at all. And I, I began working on transparency legislation. I know Steve supported it while he was in the House during the previous administration. I mean, this isn't a, a partisan hunt for us. This is recognizing that the citizens of the state become justifiably troubled and le that leads to mistrust when somebody says, don't worry, even though we're not willing to show you, everything's okay. And in governments at all levels, the legislature, the governor, the federal side of things, our local governments, there may be at times reasons to have private meetings, uh, special meetings. There may be justifiable reasons to not always have open records. And at the federal level, people argue, you know, national security state secrets, things like that. But one, as I was trying to balance out and weigh out, well, what's the potential cost of sharing this openly with the public versus what's the cost to the public of not sharing it, right? And so some, some argue military issues and national security, there's an important reason that those things should be held close. We're not dealing with that in Michigan here. This, this isn't national security. Um, we have, you know, security protocols around buildings and officials and our prisons. Yeah, I get that. There's, we're not looking ever to expose and endanger our state employees or, or our public in that sense. But these other issues about why, um, why certain policy decisions were made months ago regarding nursing homes or regarding uh, motors on boats or paint on shelves, these are not national security issues. These are not issues that endanger state employees or, or, or the public to know how and why these decisions were made. 
And it was the same I felt when we were doing the Flint water investigation. The right answer, the right medicine was transparency. It was sunshine. It was don't, don't just tell us you're going to fix the internal mistakes that led to making this bad decision. Show us how the bad decision was made. And I think as legislators in particular, we want to codify the fixes. We don't want to just trust this current administration at that time to fix it because now they've experienced it and they're wiser. We don't want the next administration that hasn't experienced it. 50 years, 60 years from now to make that same mistake. Let us codify these things. Don't let just trust on executive orders and internal directives. And we can't do our job as legislators if we don't know. And that's why throughout history, the courts and the legislatures and those who've written constitutions have always believed that the job of oversight is not just written as the job for the legislature, it is inherent to the very nature of the legislature. Even if we didn't write it down that we have the rights to these acts, to these records, that we have the right to subpoena officials and question them, even if we didn't write that out as we have, it would be inherent to the job itself. So, so you're telling me, I guess, it, you know, if you were, you know, if you were to fall off a tractor at your farm and you went and had an x-ray and the doctor said, just trust me, your arm's fine, you're not gonna buy that, huh? I mean, <laughs> that's pretty much what they're saying. <laughs> Well, when it's obvious that it's not in particular, right? When exactly. Ronald Reagan said, trust but verify. We're asking for the verification. That's all we're looking for. Yeah, well, and in, in, I know you mentioned a little bit, uh, both of you have about the issue of, of codification and, and support of legislation. Um, you know, it seems like, you know, every, almost every year, every, you know, every couple of years during Sunshine Week, there's a big flurry of activity related to um, transparency legislation. Um, you know, FOIA expansion, creation of a law to open up the legislature to, um, to open records and, and providing them. And then it kind of peters out. Um, you know, folks um, get in and advocate against it or, or, you know, for whatever reason. Do you see that maybe changing this this time around, given um, the importance of all these items that are floating out there that need questions answered, um, or, or do you think we'll just be in the same place we've always been? Or you'll do, you know, Senator McRoom, you've been a huge champion of this. Representative Johnson, you've you've supported it in the years past. Do you, do you think we're going to have a breakthrough this time around? I, I absolutely do. Um, you know, this is my my third go around at it. The first two times we passed it, it died in the Senate. Um, and I, I think things are a lot different this time. I feel like the first two times we did it, no one in the public was really paying attention. Um, I think a lot of maybe people in the press were paying attention. It's, you know, they support it, uh, the expansion of FOIA. But I don't think the general population was really paying attention to the lack of transparency in government and the solutions out there. But now they are. Um, and you know, maybe that's some of the good things that have come out of this administration is you have people paying attention in a way that they weren't paying attention before. So I think you now have a public pressure that didn't exist before that can finally hopefully get us over the finish line. I think, I think Rep. Johnson's correct that there's additional pressures that are mounting from particularly COVID. You know, I think Flint put a certain amount of pressure on, but it was more isolated. This has now become much larger, much bigger issue as a statewide epidemic issue and a nationwide attention is being drawn to this. 
So I, I do think there's that aspect. I also know just from the experience of having introduced this while I was in the house, um, partnering then with, you know, uh, Rep Moss then, Rep Chatfield. Um, we, had, we had a good team then that first started this. Um, that, you know, I dealt at the time with some significant roadblocks in the Senate that I, I feel misunderstood a lot of what we were trying to accomplish. There was a lot of misinformation. I would spend a lot of personal time with my own senator and hear him parrot back things to me that he had heard that was like, that's really not at all what's going on here or what this attempts to do. So um, now that Senator Moss and I are here in the Senate working on this together, um, I think that we've been able to provide a lot better information and backing for the policy. I think we could have gotten it done last year, except COVID hit and just really destroyed everybody's schedule. We were set to take it up the week or two after we got sent home. And uh, by the time we got back in the fall, my committee was very busy investigating nursing homes and other things. And then the election happened. So I just never managed to fit it back onto our calendar. So that's why we're getting started right away, moving it out uh, of committee next week. I know it's already come out of committee in the house. So I think that we're gonna see, um, uh, we're definitely, we're gonna be further along than we've ever been before, but there's there's still the serious pressure that you know, you have, you're asking an executive to sign something on their, themselves that they don't like. And so, um, and then for the legislature, you're asking them to vote for something that they're very unfamiliar with. That's never really been tried anywhere in the country that's had FOIA for their legislature is either running some sort of FOIA light or they've had it suspended by the courts. And so we've created the Laura act because the trying to make something that's sustainable. This was something I worked very hard on creating something new, something that's not been tried other places um, because of the separation of powers issues and because of the protections we have on speech and debate within the constitution, both federal and state, how can we have an open records act that doesn't violate those things and get suspended by the courts? And we're trying to do that, but it's not, there's no other model to follow anywhere in the country. And so there's a lot of unknowns. And so between legislators not being sure of what they're getting into and an executive whose open openness to the issue is tenuous. Um, yeah, well, there's still challenges to meet. And, and, and I, you know, ten, I think you're right in tenuous in terms of action. Um, but the benefit we've got with this administration is, um, and I think uh, Steve, you pointed it out early on, um, words have been far more open to it. Um, you know, she kicked off, her first couple of months in office, I think even the, maybe the third day um, of being in office, she made a big show, this governor made a big show in her administration of, um, you know, we're, we're going to open up FOIA to the governor's or to the governor's office, and lieutenant governor's office, even if the legislature doesn't act. We're two years in, that hasn't happened. So I think, um, I think the legislature is in a good spot to, uh, to get this done and put it on her desk and, and make, make those actions match those words. Now, I think the, you know, the governor turned in a card last term when the House passed these bills in support of the bills. And so I think it's a very good sign that, uh, you know, there's been support in the past. I hope that we can get it there this time. And that's, that I was, I was going to ask about 
about common ground and, and does any exist? And it sounds like there certainly does. And um, that, that's good to hear. I mean, this is very much a, a bipartisan issue. Um, you know, there are groups to the 180 degrees from, from us um, here at the Freedom Fund that um, believe as strongly in transparency as we do. And I think that's a good thing for our, for our democracy and our republic that um, people on both sides want transparency because it means um, we can't get one over on the other side um, improperly. And, and I think that's healthy for us. And it's not just good for the general population that they can see, but it's also good for, for us, good for the people who work in the departments and the governor's office. It, it makes you better at your job when you know that anyone can see what you're doing. Um, I think what can happen is when your work is hidden from the public, you can get lazy, you can get sloppy. Um, this is going to force us to do better. Uh, so it, it's twofold. It's not just good for the general population, but it's also good for us. It will make it will make us do a better job. It's going to force us to bring our A game um, in what we're doing. So I, I really and I think we got a good shot of getting it done this year. Uh, so we're really excited about this. I, I tend to believe after the initial rollout of this uh, for the legislature, uh, most people are going to discover it's pretty boring in in our offices. I mean, there's just not that much excitement and you know uh, people have worried well you know one of the things we expose in this is our calendar who we met with and i'm like it, is it really are you ashamed to tell people who came into your office and met with you i mean the president of the united states keeps a record book of who came in and met with him and remember you know barack obama there was all that pressure because of that one person from treasury how many times they had been there now if at&t comes to my office 20 times or 30 times shouldn't I be able to explain, well, we were working on an important policy and, and, you know, or, or they can say, how come you never had them come to your office? And so I, I tend to think that Steve's exactly right. It, it should make us better at our jobs, pay more attention, be more prepared to explain to people who ask good questions. And we work with some reps who, when they, they're afraid to take a vote that's one of those kind of gotcha votes, right? That somebody puts up, I always call them the I hate puppy bills, right? Or the <laughs> I love puppy bills. Somebody puts a little amendment on there and it's like, oh, you put that up there. You know, it doesn't have anything to do with the bill. It just takes away from things. But now you've got something, you know, you've got me on the record voting against puppies. And um, I've, I've never been afraid of those. And I've told in my, in the leadership, I always, especially when I was in the house, was always trying to protect us from having to vote from those little gotcha amendments because they're like, well, you know, you'll have to explain this in the next election. Like if I can't go home and explain to my citizens how that particular vote was a gotcha, didn't mean anything, was just somebody's attempt to gum up the works. If I can't explain why I voted against puppies on some occasion, I don't deserve to keep the job. Good legislators are ready to explain that. Now, Steve and I both know we work with some folks who might not sometimes be able to explain their way out of a paper bag, a wet one. But or, or um, people who don't actually like puppies, too, from what I can tell. So, <laughs> But hopefully this openness that we want to have in our offices that Rep. Johnson and I are proponents of helps all of us as legislators do the thinking that comes beforehand to say, who, are, who am I inviting to my office? And, and am I prepared to explain that? And you know, one of the things that's so important to me in this is the openness that somebody can have when they report something to my office. They say, DNR is doing X to me. Do something about it. 
And when three months goes by and they call up and I'm like, oh yeah, I sent a letter to them. I called them. Nothing's happened. I blame them, right? But now this citizen has the ability to check my office and come back and say, you never sent a letter. And so one, hopefully it makes me make sure I send the letter too, right? But it also should keep people from being lied to. And because citizens deserve to know that. Did I do the job I said that I did? And one quick point of clarification, uh, you know, we get a lot of constituent contact urging us to, you know, vote one way or on a bill or whatever. That is not subject to FOIA. So you don't have to worry about, you know, if you're telling your rep or your senator to support a certain piece of legislation, that's not going to be public. That is still kept between you and your legislator. So we're still protecting the constituents' ability to contact us and, and not out them and what their beliefs are. It's just what we do. That's the only thing that's open. And that's, I'm, I'm glad you make that point. That's a great distinction that, you know, oftentimes we see that conflation of um, transparency and, and it's, you know, it's about, um, you know, who's, who's giving money to whom or, or, you know, who's, who's believes this policy is this from the private, you know, from private citizens. I like to point out that transparency is for the government. Privacy are for, is for the citizens. And I, I think this package that you've put together is certainly um, meets those, um, those kind of important distinctions. And so um, I know we're reaching um, kind of the, the last couple of minutes here. Um, and I, again, I thank both of you for joining us. It's been a great discussion. Um, just quickly, if, if each of you wanted to, um, you know, spend a minute or two just chatting through how you, how you, you know, aside from this transparency package, um, what you envision doing um, as oversight chair, what, what you think your priorities and focus will be in the coming months and maybe through the end of this year. Um, Senator McRoom, why don't you go first? Well, as long as we're in the midst of the, the epidemic and um, there remain you know, issues there, my committee is obviously going to be taking up substantial amount of time investigating that. The first, I mean, look at the Department of Natural Resources keeping foresters home from marking trees because of COVID. Does that make any sense to anybody? I mean, we're, we're putting up less timber, hurting our own economy because it's too dangerous for somebody to go out in the woods. I mean, <laughs> this, is, this is the stuff you know, we have to aggressively find out from our districts and, and, and prosecute down here through the oversight process. We also still have many audits going on and one of the things I'd really like to do is take the Citizens Research Council report on government uh, transparency and process on the audits. And it was looking around the whole country at how audits are handled in individual states. And I'd like to bring some of those policies in and have some more permanent rules set up for how the legislature deals with these audits. Some states don't, you know, they mandate every single audit gets a hearing. And we're, we're choosing Rep. Johnson and myself, which ones to take up. We have our own rules on it, but there's nothing to outlast us. So that's, that's really important to me long-term. Continue to have a lot of very specific issues I want to dig into, you know, bovine tuberculosis, um, dealing with a uh, number of things with MDOT, how they're not changing speed limits despite the law mandating that they do that. Um, so many issues. I can't even, you know, <laughs> it's a long list. And when we can move out of doing the triage on, on the epidemic or on the election, 
then I can get back to that more regular order of other issues that are always with us and always need to be held accountable within our government. Was as somebody who runs an organization called the Michigan Freedom Fund, I'm shocked that there are a host of things that government is not doing properly that need fixing. <laughs> so, um, uh, Representative, <laughs> Representative Johnston, any any last words from you? Yeah. So you know we're we're focused on right now the unemployment agency, uh, the severance agreements. We will be pursuing a subpoena against Robert Gordon if he does not show up to our committee. Uh, but the other thing we're really focused on is trying to encourage the other committees to view their role as oversight as well. Uh, it should not just be the oversight committee that does this function, but every Amen. committee should have some function of oversight. If you're the tax policy committee and treasury has some issues, then that's right up your alley to go ahead and do that. If you're the health policy committee, you can look at DHHS rules. Uh, so that's been part of our mission as well, is trying to empower the other chairs of the other committees to view their role as not just passing bills, but also holding the departments accountable. So that's what we're gonna be focused on as well. Great. Well, once again, thank you gentlemen for, for joining us and for uh, holding government accountable, uh, regardless of party affiliation, it's important. And uh, the work you're doing is very much appreciated by, by the Freedom Fund and our listeners and look forward to working with you. Uh, have a wonderful rest of the afternoon. Thanks, Tony. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks, bye. Thank you for joining us in the trenches. To learn more about the Michigan Freedom Fund, please visit our website at www.michiganfreedomfund.com and sign up for our weekly email, The Frontlines of Freedom. In the Trenches is available on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and SoundCloud. If you enjoy this podcast, please tell your friends. Thank you for listening.